Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning more about what it's like to work in the mortgage industry, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest is a loan officer at CB Loans, where she's worked since June of 2021. But before I introduce you to Sophia Lorena, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's newsletter that features career advice and job-seeking tips, as well as unique insights into dozens of different industries from the professionals like Sophia, who are actually working in them. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Sophia Lorena, a loan officer at CB Loans, which provides customers with fast and responsible mortgage financing. CB Loans offers a variety of low interest loan products for people looking to refinance their mortgage, to buy a home, or to purchase an investment property. Prior to joining CB Loans in June of 2021, Sophia worked as a loan officer and an internet marketing representative at Cash Call Mortgage. Right after graduating from high school in 2018, Sophia worked as a real estate intern at South Bay Property Advisors, where she created social media marketing from scratch. She also worked on building new relationships by attending community events, hosting open houses, and door knocking. Sophia is also the host of the shit show of my 20s podcast, which is a must binge, especially if you're in your 20s or you're a teen and you're looking for honest conversations about personal growth, about entrepreneurship, and about how to struggle better. New episodes drop every Monday. Sophia, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I'm so ready. Thank you so much for having me here. That doesn't sound so enthusiastic, Sophia. Can we try that again? (laughs) I am so ready. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited to talk with you today. (laughs) Yay! Okay, much better, much better. Listen, not everybody is over-caffeinated like me. (laughs) As I said to you before we started recording, Sophia, I have been admiring you from afar on LinkedIn. And there are so many reasons why. But I would say probably chief among them 
is the fact that you are what, 21 now? Yeah. Yeah, I just turned only. 21 in August. Woo! End of August. <laughs> Legal in every state. You are only 21 years old. And yet, you are so incredibly wise. You are like light years ahead of where I was when I was your age. And you have also blazed your own trail, which I want to talk about with you. Because unlike the vast majority of 18-year-olds or 19-year-olds who graduate from high school, you did not just head to college, right? Yeah. How come? So the biggest reason for me was it was kind of a gut feeling for me. Like it was like, I feel like if I were to make this decision and I were to go, it wouldn't be for me. It would be for someone else. And I knew that if I went, I would end up thinking like, why did I go if I really didn't want to? So that was the biggest reason for me is because I knew I love hands-on experience. I love to actually experience things with people and actually learn by doing. So I knew the best way for me to learn was just to jump straight into the industry that I wanted to go into. And I just knew like, this is going to be the best way for me. Also, I really didn't want to get into debt. So I was like, I really can't. I really don't want to do that decision so early on, especially if I don't feel like I'm going to utilize it. I feel like if it's something where you want to be like a doctor or dentist or something where you really need that degree, I understand it. But for my position and what I saw myself doing, I didn't think I needed a degree to get there. So you went to Palos Verdes Peninsula High School in L.A., is that right? Yeah, so it's in Palos Verdes. Oh, I guess but it's about it's, a, yeah, it's about an hour away from LA. Okay, so in California, yeah, about an hour outside of LA. What percentage of your class did what you did? Decided college is not for me. Well, I was kind of the oddball. I've always been the oddball, but most of the people that I was talking to, they were going so. I don't really know too many that made the same decision as me because most of them were already planning where they were going to go, planning what degree they were going to get. So it was kind of even at the graduation, it was kind of like expected. So it was definitely a school that was very like they expected you to go to college. They expected you to do a certain path and kind of doing anything other than that kind of seemed crazy. to them. <laughs> so what advice do you have, Sophia, for high schoolers? who may be struggling right now the way that you did about whether or not college is for them, whether it's for them in terms of they see like a career path that makes sense for them to get that degree, or maybe if they can even afford it, whether it's worth the investment. Mm -hmm. I feel like you really have to know yourself in order to know if it's a good idea or not. And you kind of have to like, detach from all the things that you're hearing and detach from all the outside noise. You kind of have to think like, okay, does this really make sense for me or not? Because I feel like we really know if it makes sense for us or not. It's just allowing ourselves to listen to our own selves. And it also, I think, requires a lot of support from your parents. Because I think that sometimes what happens is that there may be 
high schoolers who are listening to their gut and their gut is telling them Mm-mm, college is not for me, but their parents pressure them to go to school. How did you convince your parents if it took convincing to support you in making this decision? Yeah, well, they weren't really supportive at first, to be honest. <laughs> they were not. I think what it truly took was it took a lot of conversations about a lot of open conversations. And I think you have to have open conversations about your point of view and their point of view, and you have to be willing to talk about it. Because if it's a type of environment where you can't even talk about it, it's not going to go well. But I think one thing that I think my mom did really well is that she created a space that we can talk about things, even if we don't necessarily fully agree on it. So she created that space. So I was able to talk to her about my point of view and what I saw for myself and the different opinions that I had. And then eventually she kind of saw this alternate way of thinking, alternate way of being, and she was okay with it. But I think having that space is huge, especially for parents, because if you don't create that space for your kid, what's going to end up happening is they're going to end up going against you and pushing away from you. And they're not going to want to talk to you too much because you're not supportive of what they want to go through or you're not supportive enough just to have a conversation about it. So I feel like it's really big to create that space, even if you're going to hear things maybe you don't want to hear as a parent, because otherwise it's going to create a lot of tension and they're going to feel like they can't come to you for things. Great advice. So when you graduated from Palos Verdes, were you already interested in real estate or how did you become interested in the field of real estate <laughs> and specifically in the mortgage industry? So I grew up in real estate. I grew up going to open houses. I grew up with this all around me. I grew up learning about all the different types of properties, values and all that stuff. But what happened was at 19, my dad started to show, he started to present this opportunity to me. So he's like, okay, you can get your NMLS license. You can try this. We could see if you like it or not. And then we can go from there because he's also a loan officer. And he had to present it to me three to four different ways <laughs> before I actually listened. <laughs> because at first I was like, no, I don't want to hear about that. But he kept on saying it three to four different ways. And then he showed me one of his checks. And then <laughs> my eyes, of course, <laughs> widened. Was this like a commission check? Yeah. Yeah. So he showed me one of his checks. And then I was like, okay. But I think the th reason why after like the third or fourth time I actually became open to it is because he's like, look, this is something you can try. I'm not saying this is going to be the rest of your life. I'm not saying you're going to like this. I don't know if you're going to like this or not because you haven't tried it. But I think you should at least try this to get this experience. And if you don't end up liking it, at least you can have this experience of customer service, working in sales, training, learning different things, learning how to put a file together, learning what actually goes into financing. So I saw it that way. And I think taking that pressure off of it was what really allowed me to go into it and then go through the whole journey of passing and failing my test and the whole journey that came along with it. So you mentioned this test, this NMLS test. What does that stand for? Yeah. So I don't know what it stands for. I think it's like, so how the DRE regulates real estate and the realtors, who? the NMLS, the DRE. What's the DRE? So the DRE is a department of real estate. 
And so oh, how they okay. essentially I didn't regulate, know there was they, one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's a DRE and they regulate all the realtors and they do the licensing and all that stuff. So like the DRE is to real estate, the NMLS is to loan officers. So essentially the, they regulate the licensing, passing your test, having the licensing for different states, doing your continuing education. So they regulate all of that for, and you essentially, you have to pass your NMLS test to become a loan officer. So it's a really hard test to pass. Got it. I just looked it up. It stands for Nationwide Mortgage Licensing System. And it's actually only been around since 2008. Yeah. Okay. And it's a hard test and it took you three tries, yeah. you said. <laughs> we just did our espresso shots interview. Check out your notes to see if that's dropped. But Sophia was saying that it took her three tries. And if she hadn't passed the third time, she was going to have to wait another six months to take it again. So <laughs> third time's the charm. So your dad is saying to you, Sophia, look at the check. Look at the check. <laughs> this could be a really lucrative career for you. Mm -hmm. And how has it worked out? It has been very lucrative for me. It has been life changing. But yeah, so it really took that. And the thing is, I wasn't expecting to learn so much from it. Like I've learned a lot from it. I ended up doing about 200 loans within the span of one year. And I ended up learning how to work with all these different people, how to do all these different loans, how all these different programs work, how to make a file work that looks like it's not going <laughs> to work. You know, you learn so much about the whole entire system and how to work with different people. So I think it's been pretty cool to get to learn not just about structuring files, but getting to learn about different people, getting to have these conversations with different people and getting to build these different relationships. When you say structuring files, is that like a loan application? Yeah. So it's like structuring what type of program someone's going to be in. So let's say, for example, someone cannot qualify based off of their tax returns. Let's say they have a lot of write-offs and it doesn't look like they make that much income. But you look at their bank statements and you see their income and they actually qualify that way. So you can do a loan just based off of their bank statements instead. Or let's say they want to buy an investment property but they don't have any more space in their debt to income. They can qualify off of a DSCR loan just based off of the rental income of the property. Hold on, so the <laughs> what's a DSCR loan? So DSCR loan, it is a loan where basically you're gonna purchase a property, you're purchasing an investment property. And how you qualify is there is a section on the appraisal called the 1007, and that is the estimated rent income. So you're qualifying based off of the estimated rent income and the estimated rent income is more than covering your taxes, your insurance, your principal and interest, and if there's any HOAs. So it's definitely, it's just another way to qualify. <laughs> for so before we talk about what you're doing now at CB Loans, could you share with our listeners how you got your first internship out of school at South Bay Property Advisors? Was it like your dad that opened a door or how did you find it? Yeah. So it was a family friend who was looking to have someone as an intern. So I just found the position that way. And I thought it'd be a good position to learn and just get some experience in the real estate industry and just start off. Had you had any other internships in high school that you were able to no. leverage? No. Okay. No. So within about 
18 months after you graduated from high school, Mm -hmm. you landed a job as an internet marketing rep at Cash Call Mortgage. Mm -hmm. What does an internet marketing rep do and how did you land that job? Yeah. So what you do is you're basically the first person answering the inbound calls coming in and you're seeing what state are they in? And then you're essentially transferring them over to a loan officer. So you're essentially just pre-screening the calls and you're making a bunch of outbound calls every day. And how I got that job was I actually applied for their training program and I didn't get into their training program. So I just went and got my license on my own. And then I came back and did another interview and then I got the job. And so I started off as a call center representative, and then I waited for my license to come in. And then I transitioned over to being a loan officer. How long did it take you? You said you it took three tries yeah. to pass the NMLS. How long did it take you in terms of like studying and all that stuff between when you started and when you got the license? took me a long time. Like, I think I initially started the process around July or August, but I didn't end up passing until November. So it took me a long time. It took me the first time I didn't study enough. And then, so then the second time I started studying a bit more and then I failed again. And then the third time I actually got targeted on a Facebook ad by a company that all they do is help people pass. So I took their tests very seriously. They had all these practice tests. So I went through them over and over and over again. And it took me a while, but like that last time I I had to study a lot. Like I took studying way more seriously than the first two times because I only had one more try. That actually reminds me, Sophia, of what my son just went through. My son is 17 and he didn't get his learners until a couple of months ago. And he passed on the third try because the first time he didn't take it seriously. The second time he studied a little bit and the third time, man, he was heads down because if he hadn't done that, he was going to have to go through the whole like learner's process again. So he was like, I am actually going to study for this test. (laughs) It's amazing how that like becomes a motivating factor. So Before we talk about becoming a loan officer, could you just give us a really quick overview as to what is included in the mortgage industry? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of different components when it comes to the mortgage industry. There's the processing side. There is the underwriting side. There are the funders. There are the sales managers. There's the customer service representatives. So there's a lot of different components that go into creating that file. So in January of 2019, you became a loan officer. Could you take us into all of your responsibilities? Yeah. So as a loan officer, what you do is you essentially start off by having the call with the clients. You see what they want to do. Do they want to take cash out of their property? Do they want to get a lower rate? Do they want to purchase a new property? And you kind of learn what they want to do. And then you go and you price out the scenario for them. You give them a quote. You see if they're interested. And then after that, you take an application and then you gather their paperwork and you see if the debt to income works and all the numbers check out. And then the next step after that is you send out disclosures and then you upload all the documents and then it gets assigned to a processor. 
And then the processor essentially takes it over and processes the loan, gets title, gets any conditions, submits it to an underwriter, and the processor takes it to funding. And how many of these clients could you be juggling at any given time? You can be juggling a lot. <laughs> you can be juggling a lot. It depends on where you're working at. If you're working at like a call center type of environment, you could be juggling, you know, because you're every day you're making outbound calls, you're getting new clients, then you're all so your clients that are in process may call you for an update of a loan that's in process. And then your clients may send over family members, referrals and different people to work on their loans. So at any given time, you can be juggling, you know, maybe 50, 60 clients at the same time, maybe more, um, but you could be juggling a lot at the same time. So take us into a typical day for you right now. You are doing this interview with me from outside of Denver. You're in mm -hmm. Colorado, but you and your parents kind of go back and forth. You were saying between Colorado <laughs> and California. So clearly... Mm -hmm. You're able to work remotely. Mm. Are you licensed in two states right now? Is that? Yeah. So right now I'm licensed in actually six states, but the company I work with is only licensed in California right now. And they're going to be working on getting more states. So eventually I'm going to use more of my licenses, but right now I'm just using my California license. But a good thing about, you know, after COVID, <laughs> there's a lot of remote opportunities now. So it's easy to work remote. There are all the systems are set up. A lot of companies are ready for that transition to remote. So that's another good thing is that you can find the opportunity to, there's a lot of remote opportunities in this industry. Awesome. So what does a typical day look like for you now? Yeah. So a typical day is making new phone calls, reaching out to people getting quotes, and sending emails to processors, checking in statuses of different loans. And then, yeah, that's pretty typical. And just getting people's paperwork, submitting people's paperwork, reviewing their income, their credit reports. Were you always good at numbers in school? <laughs> no. <laughs> so I wasn't really good at numbers. But all the numbers aren't like too difficult. You know, you have pricers, you see this is a monthly payment, this is the taxes, this is the insurance. So I feel like all the math isn't anything too complicated. It's just you're finding out the closing costs, you're figuring out the down payment, you're figuring out the interest rate, the principal and interest. But like all the numbers are pretty intuitive. But no, I was not good at math. <laughs> That's good to know. So you don't have to be like a math whiz to get into this field. I was listening to another interview that you did, Sophia, and you said that you have accumulated, I alluded to this at the beginning of our interview, something like $70,000 in savings. Is that right? Yeah. And that's in what period of time? That was in within a span of about a year. What does that feel like to have that kind of money? Well, the thing is, I'm very strategic and I kind of, I'm very strategic. So I was already from my, from the start, I was already had that goal in mind. So I was like, how do I make this happen? Like, this is my goal for the year. How do I make it happen? And then I started working with the coach. I did some social media work for her. And then she helped me with some mindset work, which was very helpful. So I started working with a coach around that. 
And it feels I the best part about it for me is that I feel like it gives me the opportunity to make decisions not out of lack, not only out of like scarcity, but more out of abundance, like not be with an employer because I don't have any opportunity to find a new employer, but having the choice of like, do I really want to work with this employer? Do I have the ethical relationship with this employer? Do I feel like I'm connected with this company? If not, I have the opportunity to explore different companies. So I think that's the biggest thing it's giving me is it's giving me choice. Well, speaking of choice, our listeners also have choice because you've created an online course for them to help them learn how to purchase their first property. When did you create this course and what inspired you to do that? So I created that recently. It was a couple months ago or so. And the reason why I created it is because I realized I think about all these things and they come so intuitively to me. And then I talk with someone and they're like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> so just having that experience, I realized, okay, all these things that come easily to me that I've grown up with, all these terms, all these things that I know really, really well, just because I know it really, really well, doesn't mean everyone else knows it really, really well. <laughs> so I realized that. And that's what kind of made me realize, okay, what if I were to create this course, make everything intuitive, make it easier for people to understand and be like a guide throughout the process versus making it so complicated and make it people have to look at all these different sites and they have to put it together by themselves. How can I guide people through this process and make it easier for them? Amazing. So we're doing this interview, by the way, the third week of September 2021. So I guess that means you created the course over the summer. Yeah, I, I, I forgot like what time <laughs> <laughs> like Okay, no worries. So, Sophia, let's talk about the shit show of my 20s, actually, of your 20s. My <laughs> 20s were a shit show, too. Your wonderful podcast. I heard you mention in, I think it was that same interview, that you had been listening to podcasts since you were 14 and that you had actually wanted to start a podcast before you did, years before you did, but you suffered from limiting beliefs. So how did you overcome those limiting beliefs to create this show? Yeah, well, what happened was I was going through my own series of shit show moments. I went through a car accident and then I was furloughed from my job for a couple months. And going through those different shit show moments, it kind of woke me up. <laughs> it was like kind of like a big moment for me because during that car accident, I actually didn't process it until I was furloughed. And then that's when I really got to sit with it and kind of process everything that happened during that accident. And when I was processing it, I realized we have this certain thing that we think we have all this time and we think we have, you know, unlimited amount of time and that we could get to things at a different point in time and that we could kind of take our time with things. And it's OK if we don't do what we want to do now. But I think what that car accident did is it kind of sped up everything and made me realize, like, OK, what are the things you want to do and how do we start doing them now versus waiting like five years to create whatever it is you wanted to create? So having that was really kind of a wake up call moment for me of like, okay, we're creating this now. <laughs> like we're no longer thinking about it. We're creating it now. And then I just went into different Facebook groups and said, Hey, I'm starting a podcast. If you could write your story down below, I'm looking for different people to interview. 
And then all these people started writing a bit about their story. And then I just started scheduling interviews. That's one of the things that helped me the most was to schedule interviews before I was ready because creating the accountability and creating those people in your calendar, you have to show up anyways, because it's not just about you in that moment. It's about someone else also took time to block off in their calendar too. So you have to show up for them as well. So I think doing that and just doing it fast before I had a chance to think about it was what really helped. Well, you have such a lovely style. I mean, you show up, it's so trite to say this, but you show up in such a real and authentic way. You're not trying to be like a professional <laughs> podcaster. You're not trying to be Joe Rogan. You know, you're Sophia Lorena. How has doing this podcast and interviewing all the incredible people that you've interviewed changed you? I think the way it changed me the most is I feel like it gave me the opportunity to be more comfortable talking to someone I haven't, I don't know. Like usually most of these calls, it's like, this is my first time meeting you. We're going to have a conversation. I did some background around you. Like, I know who you are, but like, this is our first time actually meeting which, you know, could go either good or bad, you know, depending on the person. But I think it made me a lot more comfortable being able to just jump into conversations and just kind of go with the flow and just figure out a way to talk to people and figure out new questions to ask. So I feel like it's really opened me up on that way. And another way I feel like it's really opened me up is it gave me so much insight into all these different people's lives. I never would have got insight into if I didn't have this podcast. Like I've interviewed a girl who she lost her mom in her 20s. And we talked about that experience and how do you process grief and sitting with that. And then I've interviewed a girl who called off an engagement, you know, a couple of weeks before she was about to get married. And we go through that whole story. And I've interviewed a person who, you know, they got turned down by radio stations and they said, no one wants to hear your radio show. And now they have 4 million listeners a week. And all these radio stations want them now, <laughs> you know, and then we, I've just interviewed all these different people and there's always like a through line through all these stories, but getting to have all these stories and all these experiences, it's kind of like I get to learn vicariously through different people. So that's probably my favorite part. Oh my God. Can we just like double high five here? I want to let you know, <laughs> I have had that same experience, Sophia. That's why I asked you that question, because when I started doing these interviews for Time for Coffee back in early 2018. I was thinking that it was going to be me doing these interviews to help young people, to help them learn about different careers and different jobs from incredible people like you. So I saw it as like it was me helping them. But what I didn't anticipate was how much I was going to get out of it. And the fact that what you said, that through line, I began to see the cross-cutting themes that I wasn't expecting, that were surprises to me. And that, in fact, is what led me to decide to become a career coach for those college students who don't know what they want to do when they graduate and for those Young professionals who don't know, who feel stuck, overwhelmed, anxious, because to be perfectly frank, a lot of the career advice out there sucks. It's wrong. 
it's outdated. And what I've seen and heard from listening to incredible people like you is that careers are much more iterative. It's not that you have to pick what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life when you're 18 years old or when you're 22 years old. No, you just start somewhere, anywhere. Yeah. So final Mm. question, Sophia. And this is a question I try to ask all of my guests. If you could share a time in your professional life when you struggled, you've talked about the shit show of your 20s, a time you may have failed. And what's more important is how you persevered. And if there was a lesson that you learned in the process. I think I was definitely struggling at the beginning (laughs) because when at the beginning, when I was trying to get into different training programs, I was 19 at the time. I was going to all these different interviews. I was thinking the interviews were going well. And then I actually had an interview where someone asked me my age during the interview. And after they asked me my age, I could tell like his entire energy shifted, like his face shifted, everything shifted. And I could tell I didn't get the job like in that moment. And it was really hard at the beginning because I feel like people were looking at the outside and they were looking at what age I was and they were looking at all these external things, but I feel like they weren't taking the time to kind of look beyond that. So I feel like the beginning was really hard. So how do you deal with the way that perhaps clients may react to you when they see you, maybe they don't realize that you're only 21 years old. Has that ever caused you to lose a client? That actually, believe it or not, that's never caused me to lose a client because most of the things that I do are over the phone. So people usually don't see my face. It's usually not face to face. It's usually over the phone. And so I actually never, I think another reason why it's never affected me too is because I never accepted that story. I never accepted my age was going to be the reason why I couldn't get things or my age was going to be the reason why I couldn't get opportunities or clients or anything like that. I never accepted that belief. So I think that's another reason why it's never affected me is because I never thought that way about it. But I think maybe if I had accepted that belief and maybe I had kind of took on that way of thinking, I think it probably would have. So what do you think the takeaway lesson is for you from that whole experience of trying to get that first opportunity and just struggling through it? Yeah, I think the takeaway from the beginning is it's going to be rough at the beginning. (laughs) You know, it could be very rough at the beginning. But the thing is, it was funny because I was actually talking to some people about the company and that experience with the company that didn't want to hire me. And It was funny because a couple of the people, they actually used to work at that company and they said they actually did you a favor by not hiring you. So it's pretty funny, but it always, there's always a reason why it didn't work out and why it led you somewhere else is maybe because you're not meant to be at that company. Maybe that would have been a bad fit and maybe that would have like ruined the whole experience for you or the whole industry for you because you would have been basing it off of that company. So I think it's usually, there's usually more to the story than what we see. So I think being able to reflect later on it made it easier, but in the moment it wasn't easy. Well, kudos to you for having the grit and the perseverance and the courage to do everything that you have done so far in your young life. I wish you 
just continued success. And I was going to say happiness, but it's more than that. It's like just belief in yourself, continued belief in yourself that you can do. And I want to let you know, Sophia, as somebody who spent 20 years as a journalist, when I decided to start my podcast and did my first few interviews, I was nervous too. I was feeling like that, uh, you know, because I wasn't Andrea Koppel with CNN or with whatever organization. I, I, it was just me. You know, yeah. it was just me. And why would like so-and-so agree to do an interview with just me? So we all have these limiting beliefs and we all have experiences with imposter syndrome and you just have to like take it step by step. And I'm going to recommend that they listen. If our listeners want to hear more about how Sophia did the podcasting step by step, to check out some of the other interviews that have been done with her where she really dug into that. Sophia is the host of the wonderful show, the shit show of my 20s. You definitely are going to want to subscribe. New episodes come out every Monday. She is also the creator of the How to Purchase Your First Property. We'll have a link to that in show notes. Sophia, where can our listeners find you. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time on LinkedIn under Sophia Lorena, and I'm also on Instagram under the shit show of my twenties. Sophia, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. You are a remarkable young woman. And despite the title of your show, I have to say, you're, you may have to amend it at some point to say, like, my badass 20s. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I love talking with you. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.